The following episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television. Good morning, USA, and welcome to another episode of the Bernie or Bust Show. Today we're going to talk about red baiting, debate rigging, and from someone on Facebook who wants comfortable Democrats to shut up, sit down, and get the fuck out of the way. Remember 50 and 75 years ago when socialism, in quotes, destroyed our democracy and plunged America into irreversible ruin? Yeah, neither do I. It was baseless political bullshit then, it's baseless political bullshit now. Here's a Truth Dig article reprinted by Common Dreams by Bill Bloom called The Despicable and Very Predictable Red Baiting of Bernie Sanders. If Donald Trump is to be unseated in November, the red baiting of the Democratic frontrunner and the demonizing of his supporters must end full stop once and for all. The red baiting of Bernie Sanders sank to a new low during the Democratic debate in Las Vegas last week, courtesy of mega-billionaire Mike Bloomberg. Responding to the Vermont senator's charge that Bloomberg's employees were at least partly responsible for his business success, the former Republican New York City mayor replied, We're not going to throw out capitalism. We tried that. Other countries tried that. It was called communism, and it just didn't work. This wasn't the first time Sanders has been smeared in this fashion. Indeed, as I noted in a Truth Dig column posted in May 2016, pundits and politicians affiliated with both major parties attacked Sanders relentlessly the last time he ran for president. Among Sanders' earliest and most vicious antagonists was Claire McCaskill, the former Democratic senator from Missouri, who is now one of MSNBC's deep stable of neoliberal cheerleaders. Appearing on MSNBC's Morning Joe show in June 2015, McCaskill complained incredulously that major media outlets were giving Sanders a pass compared to their reporting on Hillary Clinton. I very rarely read in any coverage of Bernie that he's a socialist, McCaskill cracked. Declaring that Clinton was destined to become the party's nominee, she blasted Sanders for being too liberal and too extreme to be elected. By early 2016, as Sanders showed no sign of folding, other Clinton supporters and surrogates joined McCaskill in sounding the alarm at the prospect of a real challenge. In January 2016, political correspondent Jonathan Martin cataloged the anxieties rippling across the Democratic establishment for the New York Times. Here in the heartland, we like our politicians in the mainstream, and he is not. He's a socialist. Then Missouri Democrat Governor Jay Nixon was quoted as saying, As far as having him at the top of the ticket, it would be a meltdown all the way down the ballot. That's what we're hoping for. Martin also included comments from Representative Steve Cohen, Democrat Tennessee, who said that a Sanders candidacy wouldn't be helpful outside Vermont, Massachusetts, Berkeley, Palo Alto, and Ann Arbor. And from McCaskill, who insinuated, the Republicans can't wait to run an ad with a hammer and sickle. True to McCaskill's prediction, Republican operatives soon joined the jingoistic chorus. In an interview with, wait for it, Bloomberg News, reporter Sahil Kapoor in April 2016, GOP strategist Ryan Williams asserted that Sanders would be a weak general election candidate because Bernie Sanders is literally a card-carrying socialist. Over the course of the 2020 campaign, this red baiting has grown even more desperate and unhinged. 
Perhaps the leading fearmonger of this election cycle has been MSNBC's Chris Matthews, whose talk show Hardball airs five nights a week. In a special late-night panel discussion broadcast after the New Hampshire Democratic debate earlier this month, I'll pause here and note how drunk he sounded on that interview, Matthews implied that if elected, Sanders would destroy democracy and initiate a dictatorship with deadly consequences. I believe if Castro and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed, he rambled. I don't know who Bernie Sanders supports over these years. I don't know what he means by socialism. Two days later, MSNBC's Chuck Todd, who anchors the network's Sunday morning and weekday afternoon program, Meet the Press, upped the ante, approvingly citing an article by right-wing columnist Jonathan Last of The Bulwark that described Sanders' online supporters, the purportedly menacing Bernie bros, as a digital brown shirt brigade. Not to be outdone by Todd, Matthews exploded on air in an anti-Semitic meltdown following the Nevada caucuses, comparing Sanders' landslide win to Nazi Germany breaking through the Maginot Line. This despite the fact that the Vermont senator's family was slaughtered in the Holocaust. Matthews and Todd are by no means alone. In a recent column titled Bernie's Angry Bros, conservative New York Times columnist Brett Stevens detailed a conversation he had with former California Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer about Sanders. There is so much negative energy, it's so angry, said Boxer, a staunch backer of Hillary Clinton in 2016. You can be angry about the unfairness in the world, but this becomes a personal, deep-seated anger at anyone who doesn't say exactly what you want to hear. Clinton herself could barely contain her disdain for Sanders while promoting a new documentary series on her life set to stream on Hulu in March. Nobody likes him, she told The Hollywood Reporter. Nobody wants to work with him. The implication, once again, was that Sanders is too left-wing to be elected. Red-baiting did not originate with Sanders, of course. It has a long, inglorious history in the United States that began with the persecution of anarchists in the late 19th century, continued through the Red Scare of the World War I era, and came to full flower in the form of McCarthyism during the late 1940s and 1950s. But while the attacks on Sanders contributed to his defeat in 2016, they proved less effective than the red-baiting of old. In an effort to understand why, I reached out in 2016 to Ellen Schrecker, Professor Emerita of History at Yeshiva University in New York City. Considered by many the nation's foremost authority on McCarthyism, Schrecker is the author of numerous essays and books, including her highly praised interpretive monograph, The Age of McCarthyism, and more recently, The Lost Soul of Higher Education. Schrecker voted for Sanders in her state's 2016 primary, and the long-standing socialist is still going strong at age 81, providing expert commentary in the new PBS documentary, McCarthy, Power Feeds on Fear. To understand why the attacks on Sanders were less damaging than they might have been, Schrecker said in a phone interview, We must look to Sanders' base of support, America's youth. I think red-baiting is losing its bite, particularly among the young, because they don't know what communism was, and as a result, baiting has lost its Cold War sting, she said. The fragmentation of American politics in the internet era is also a factor, she continued. In the 50s, we had three TV networks and a few major newspapers. It was easier to marginalize left-wing figures. 
Now we have a proliferation of outlets. There are so many other things today people can be made to fear besides being a socialist. Terrorism, transgenderism, guns, or the lack of them. Schrecker added, Bernie Sanders has made it safe to be a socialist in American politics. That could very well be his most important long-term achievement. He has offered a way of thinking about politics that we haven't considered in 50 to 60 years, and he's done so in sync with what people feel at a gut level. The Occupy movement brought the issue of income inequality to the forefront, and it has stayed there. Sanders has given the issue a public face. Public opinion research appears to bear out her observations. A Pew poll from June 2015 found that 69% of voters under 30 were willing to vote for a socialist presidential candidate, while a Gallup poll released in November 2019 revealed that attitudes toward capitalism have declined dramatically among the 18 to 39-year-olds. Socialism is now almost as popular as capitalism among that demographic. According to 538, Sanders currently enjoys the highest net favorability ratings of all the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates, topping the list at 51%. Contrary to the Bernie bro narrative, Sanders is actually more popular among minorities than he is with white people, and just as popular among women as he is with men, per a pair of polls from Harvard-Harris Poll and Morning Consult. None of this means that the moderate and right wings of the party are politically obligated to abandon their efforts to nominate a candidate more to their liking. If the centrists and business interests want to argue against Medicare for All, the Green New Deal, substantial increases in the minimum wage, bringing an end to big money in elections, imposing significantly higher taxes on the super-rich, forgiving student debt and any number of other uplifting Sanders-backed policies, then let them have at it in a fair primary fight. But if Donald Trump is to be unseated in November, the red-baiting of the Democratic frontrunner and the demonizing of his supporters must end full stop once and for all. Chris Christie, of all people, understands how this all works. He's the front You want to talk about Bernie? The knife, let's do that. Let's do it. The knives were out for Bernie tonight. They were. And his buddy Fidel Castro. Healthcare is a human right. It is. Yes, thank you. It's, did anyone make a dent in Bernie tonight? No. Really? really? No, really. The, the, the beauty... <laughs> <laughs> all right, wait. Right now, are you working for the Russians by talking about Bernie? <laughs> I'm on retainer. But, okay, good, yeah, no, sure. But, but it's a small one, so I'm not working that hard. I understand, sure. You know, Bernie, the great thing about Bernie is that they were basically calling him a Castro-loving commie tonight. Yes. And he was like, okay, all right, I am. Now, let's talk about Medicare for all. You know, like, he doesn't care. He hasn't cared for 30 years. Why do you think that the people, why do you think that he has got, while not uh, the majority of the support in the Democratic Party right now, he's got the plurality, to use a 20-cent word? Because he's one of the only people up there who's actually talking about ideas. Elizabeth Warren talks about ideas. No, she doesn't. Yes, she does. No, no she, she doesn't. She talks about all the same ideas no, that she, no, she about. No, no, she used to talk about all the same ideas. Then she backed off of it, and now everybody doesn't like her because the people who are the real progressives don't think she's genuine anymore, and the people with the moderates don't trust her. So she's in no man's land. She's... <laughs> Colbert doesn't like that because he's a rich millionaire asshole and he wants Elizabeth to siphon the vote away from Bernie. But we've known that for a long time. Next, I want to point you to this Common Dreams article without reading it to you. We are not that stupid. Reverend Al Sharpton says black voters won't be fooled by red baiting attacks on Sanders by Jake Johnson. 
The civil rights movement always was targeted by those that would use the Red Scare. They accused Dr. King of being a communist. We've been down that road before. So take a moment and read that article. It'll be worth your time. Now we follow up on yesterday's comments about the debate and how they were rigged. So where it seemed like you were almost arguing with the crowd or debating with the crowd at one point. What was that about? Okay, that's an interesting question. Do you know how much money it costs to get a ticket down below? How much? I read that it costs $1,750. So to get a ticket to the debate, you have to be fairly wealthy. Most working people that I know don't spend $1,700 to get a ticket to a debate, and that's problematic. But, you know, people, you know, that's what the DNC did. So to follow up on how rigged the debate was is Crystal Ball of the Hill Rising. Well, very early in the debate last night, it became clear that something was quite off. Yes, the questions were annoying. The candidates were annoying, trying to all predictably attack Bernie at the same time. But the thing I could not have anticipated was the bizarre response of the audience. They booed Bernie for going after billionaires. They wildly cheered terrible answers from Bloomberg. Actually, they pretty much booed every progressive thing that was said. That Cuba made progress on education. Yes, I think. Really? <clears throat> really? We are doing that, claims. Senator. Mayor Bloomberg has a solid and strong and enthusiastic base of support. Problem is, they're all billionaires. Now, if you look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was so blatantly over-the-top weird that journalists immediately started asking questions. Here's MSNBC's Steve Kordaki wondering in the very early minutes of this debate what the hell exactly is going on here. Well, it didn't take long to get the answer. Here we go. Want a guaranteed seat at the Democratic debate in Charleston? It'll cost a lot of cash. The article quotes voters Emily Kiley and Peter Davis, both Bernie Sanders supporters, saying that they searched high and low for tickets. The only way to get those tickets was to shell out literally thousands of dollars to the party to become a sponsor of the debate. Now, I want you to think about that. The so-called party of the people only lets people in the room who have the financial means or the connections to casually cough up several thousands of dollars. What a complete disgrace. Of course, with that knowledge of who was in the room, the anti-Bernie, pro-billionaire response becomes completely predictable. It was a room full of rich people for whom Bernie is an existential threat to their personal class interests. Not only that, the entire donor class and Democratic establishment despises Bernie because they know he will never be beholden to them. They know he's not going to take their phone calls. He's not going to invite them to the White House Christmas party. He's not going to sit for photos with them that they can display in their offices. He's not going to pet their special fragile little egos and humor their dumbass ideas. If Bernie Sanders is president, all of that access, all of that special treatment, all of that reassurance that they matter and are important will end. And they hate him for it. Remember this moment with the New York Times? Look, I don't tolerate bullshit terribly well. And I come from a different background than a lot of other people who run the country. I'm not good at backslapping. I'm not good at pleasantries. If you have your birthday, I'm not going to call you up to congratulate you, say you love me and you write nice things about me. That's not what I do. Never have. And I, and I, you know, I, just, I, I take that as a little bit of a criticism, self-criticism. I've been amazed at how many people respond to, happy birthday. Oh, Bernie, thanks so much for calling. You know, it works. It, it's just not my style. <laughs> 
much of the animus towards Bernie comes from this exact thing, basically. He refuses to coddle the ruling class, and it completely enrages them. But the elite PAC debate audience also said something pretty profound about the Democratic Party, something that Mayor Bloomberg came very close to saying directly. Let's just go on the record. They talked about 40 Democrats. 21 of those were people that I spent $100 million to help elect. <laughs> the, all of the new Democrats that came in and put Nancy Pelosi in charge and gave the Congress the ability to control this president, oh. I, bought, I, I got I them. But... I bought. Did you catch that? He comes so close to saying he bought the Congress. And if you wonder why so many Democrats, including apparently the elites in that room, had so little qualms about embracing Bloomberg, in spite of his racist policies, his sexist behavior, his genuine hostility to working class people, it has everything to do with those members of Congress and think tank heads and mayors and entire party apparatus that he apparently bought. Think about this. The Democratic Party is supposed to be against money in politics. It's supposed to be about the grassroots people power, supposed to believe that money isn't speech. Yet they never, ever, even for one second, even for one debate night, live those values. They're always for sale to the highest bidder, even down to something so small on the one hand, but so essential to our democracy as a debate audience. And then, in the commercial breaks, as if that's not enough, what do we get? A freaking Bloomberg ad, a bunch of pharma and anti-Medicare for all ads. As if the debate itself did not cause me to fall into complete despair, the utter explicit purchasing of our democracy sent me into full tailspin. But don't worry, guys. Brendan James out on Twitter assures us that a presidential debate where the audience is rigged for one candidate, whose face and voice then also appear in patriotic tones during commercial breaks, is not oligarchy, which only happens in Russia. This fool, Sagar, he came on and said, really? Does this guy really think this? So I just want to give my uh, listeners and viewers a satire warning. Satire! Brendan James is good at satire. Cannot stress this enough. A presidential debate where the audience is rigged for one candidate whose face and voice also appear in patriotic tones during commercial breaks is not oligarchy, which only happens in Russia. Yes. So what should we do to stop this bullshit? Crystal has some ideas, but never, Crystal, do you say that we should be Bernie or Bust. Never do you promote the Bernie or Bust pledge. Bernie or Bust 2020.us on your show. Never do you urge your viewers to sign the pledge and unrig this bullshit now. Oh, good. I feel so much better now. This says everything about how and why the Democratic Party is so out of step with their own base. Those people in the room who were cheering billionaires and booing universal health care, those are the idiots that the party elites listen to. That's whose interests this party is being run for. Now, ultimately, I think the audience was so bizarrely in the tank that it actually backfired, exposing the fundamental corruption and disgusting performative staging of this democratic exercise much more so than it did harm the progressive candidates it was meant to hurt. Because ultimately, nothing could have made a better case for the absolutely existential, fundamental requirement that the entire corrupt, purchased, disgusting Democratic Party machine and all of their hangers-on be ushered out immediately. It could not happen soon enough. So if we really want to drain the swamp, we know what to do. Bernie or Buzz 2020.us. Here's a little tidbit I'd like to leave with you before signing off from Indy Seckle in the group We Support Bernie 2020 on Facebook. 
LOL, people are freaking the fuck out. Calm down. We tried to use reason and be nice, but it's not working. So here, to those people and special interests, Bernie is the future of our party and our country. Deal with it. Just because you don't understand it or because it threatens your privilege or because it reminds you of the Red Scare decades ago doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, it's great. We're taking back the party of the people from oligarchs, the wealthy, the lobbyists who buy and sell votes, the Clintons and DNC that ruined it, and from the grip of corporations, which aren't people, by the way. How's Bernie paying for that? Good question to ask, but bitch, you didn't care about that when Trump handed billions to the wealthy in tax breaks or the damn wall that Mexico is supposedly paying for. Listen, all that's happening is we're once again giving the lower and middle classes, the seniors, the sick, our youth, the children, and the poor, the leg up they need to get out of vicious poverty cycles and succeed. In some cases, just fucking survive. And for the sake of all that Jesus Christ preached about, try not to let your disdain for those you consider inferior show so blatantly. We see your fake outrage over made-up concerns for the economy, Trump, and whatever else you think you can use to scare us. We're putting you on notice. It won't work. We are the majority, and Bernie helped us see our power. Not even he will be able to stop the destructive outrage that will come if you dare even think about sabotaging him or our movement again. Now sit the fuck down and let the government of the people, by the people, and for the people work. Do I sound angry? I am. We all are. And we've had enough of your bullshit protection of your damn privilege. It's over, darling. Pack your fucking bags and get used to the idea that this President Bernie will not kiss your ring or sell you privilege or treat you any differently than he treats the poorest person. Oh, no. Some of you may actually have to share the same schools, doctor's offices, grocery stores, and wait in line like everybody else. Oh, the horror. So if we really want to drain the swamp, we know what to do. Bernie or Buzz2020.us Get on board the Bernie or Buzz train. Come get on board the Bernie or Buzz train. Once you hear that clickety-clack, there ain't no time for turning back. Get on board. The preceding episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television.